The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Navigating the Cancer Maze with Grace Goller. Dealing with cancer is by no means easy to handle, but our program aims to make it easier through knowledge. Whether you've been recently diagnosed, are going through treatment right now, or are a survivor, our program will have points that you should hear. And by sharing our stories together, we'll make it truly a life-changing experience that you don't have to go through alone. Now, here is your host, Grace Gawler. Welcome to today's Navigating the Cancer Maze. I'm your host, Grace Gawler. The program each week is brought to you by the Grace Gawler Institute for Integrated Cancer Solutions. We're located on the Gold Coast in Australia, but we have a worldwide outreach. So if you need help with navigating the cancer maze, you can always contact us. Institute at gracegawler.com is the email that will find me and we have a regular blog gracegawlermedia.com you can follow or sign up to that blog and then each week you will get all the resources and the information that you need to help you effectively navigate the cancer maze and all of the information that's found on that blog will certainly be assisting you and your family. You can make sure that the uh, information that we're giving to you in the form of the blog uh, and the resources and links is genuine and uh, authentic because so much of the information, particularly on the internet, surrounding cancer is quite misleading and that leads me into the subject for today's Navigating the Cancer Maze. Why do you need an experienced guide to help you navigate the maze? Well, I think an experienced cancer guide with a best of both worlds approach to cancer is becoming more and more essential in this escalating world of cancer information overload. I'm now calling it navigating the ever-changing complex cancer maze because this is what I'm hearing from my patients as they come into the clinic with a lot of confusion with what they've been reading and what they've been doing and what they've been told about cancer. Now while clearly patients want to be in charge and they want to be empowered when it comes to choosing cancer treatments, much of the knowledge being filtered as I just said is misleading and some of it is just outright untruthful. Many patients, however, have unfortunately lost trust in the medical profession's approach. Big Pharma, I suppose, is another example there. Um, The treatment of cancer has started to get a bad name with patients, and this is quite extraordinary to me. So, accordingly, this has created a void in the cancer care system. And that void has been readily filled by what we call pseudoscience 
and the magic promises of cures that often don't deliver. In fact, more often than not. But time is precious for all patients and for some, a wrong path taken while navigating the maze can have devastating consequences. So how can you be discerning and how can you use this best of both worlds approach? And what's important? So today we're going to have a look at uh, survival strategies and how patients can learn to embrace what I call as an intelligent and reliable survival strategy. Now I think when we're looking at any subject at all, it's always useful and helpful to look back into the history books. To understand events that are happening in current time, it's a really good idea to take a look back into the history of whatever subject that you're looking at, and medical history is certainly no exception. We tend to think of cancer as a modern-day disease, and certainly the cancer entrepreneurs really do um, make a lot of this, that it's our lifestyle, it's this, it's that. Um, it's been promoted to appear that way. But I'd like to take another look at this, because thanks to modern technology, we can now look back and see how long cancer has been around. Is it just a modern age disease or does it have a history itself that we need to understand and perhaps pay attention to? The more we understand cancer and its origins, I believe, the more empowered you are to deal with it. There are so many complex issues that surround cancer too, apart from the cancer itself. After today's show, I hope you'll feel more empowered to strategize your cancer health restoration and survival plan. And if you think that cancer has nothing to do with history, you will be very wrong. So bear with me now as I go through some of the history because I think you're going to find it is quite important in the way that you understand and navigate your own cancer maze. Now, a headline that caught my attention in a science journal this year, I uh, did put this on the blog at one point, and I'll be uh, putting it on the blog again for you to read because it really gives an excellent background on uh, the age of cancer on the planet. And the headline said, Biologists reconstruct genome of 11,000-year-old, almost immortal, sexually transmitted dog cancer. Now, that's an eye-catching headline and it's a fascinating study and the study was from the Wellcome Trust Sanger Institute. It was published in Science and um, what they did with that study was they analysed the genome of canine transmissible venereal tumours, otherwise known as CTVT. It's a disease, um, one of only two known cancers of its type to have been observed in the natural world. The other transferred via bites affects our um, Tasmanian devils here in Australia. It's not a cancer caused by the transfer of a virus, however, like with cervical cancer and the HPV virus in humans, but rather it's the transfer of actual cancerous dog cells from dog to dog. So if you want to know more, I'll provide uh, a link to this, as I said, on my blog, grayschoolandmedia.com. The article gives a true insight into the evolution of cancer on the planet, and in particular, the process and importance of understanding mutations in humans and mutations in cancer cells. So don't miss having a look at that if you... Um, 
If you're really interested in the history of cancer, I think it's a must. So we've already established cancer is not a new disease, um, as many people think. And even back in Egypt, growth suggestive of osteosarcoma, which is a bone cancer, have been seen and found in Egyptian mummies. Some of the earliest evidence of cancer is found amongst fossilised bone tumours. Um, ancient Egyptian mummies and ancient manuscripts have talked about cancer, not by name, but by symptomology. The earliest description of cancer, in fact, was discovered in Egypt and dates back to about 3000 BC. Writings about the disease recorded on papyrus at the time, and this is the really interesting bit, translated as, there is no treatment. So this is where it gets interesting, as cancer, from its inception in societies, in ancient societies, was deemed incurable. This is likely the reason that throughout the centuries, I think, that genuine scientists and philosophers of the day, alongside the charlatans, who were later termed snake oil salesmen, um, have either tried to discover treatments and a cure for cancer and make their claim to fame by trying to cure the so-called incurable. At the same time, genuine experimentation over the centuries must also have played a part as people looked at curing this incurable malady. By the way, I was keen to find out for myself the origin of the term snake oil salesman, so I went to my usual 21st century online scientific reference, Wikipedia. Um, it's always a great resource and I think for anyone dealing with cancer I'd heartily recommend going to Wikipedia. The information in there is perhaps the most reliable that you will find on the internet. Anyway, here's what I found. And snake oil is actually an expression that originally referred to fraudulent health products or unproven medicine. But it's come now to refer to any product with questionable or unverifiable quality or benefit. By extension now, a snake oil salesman, someone who knowingly sells fraudulent goods or who is himself or herself a fraud, as we know as a quack, a charlotte and all the like. Now the name actually originated in the western regions of the United States and it's derived from a topical preparation made from the Chinese water snake, which was used by Chinese labourers to treat joint pains. The preparation was promoted then in North America by travelling salesmen who often used accomplices in the audience to proclaim the benefits of their marvellous preparation. But interestingly, eventually even snake oil became adulterated. And guess what? It contained no snake oil at all in the finish. So we'd need to ask here, What's changed? So our study becomes an interesting study unto itself. If you want to understand more about the terms that we see bandied around today in cancer and cancer recovery, cancer treatments, I suggest you once again to return to the good old Wikipedia and look up the word. The word quackery was an interesting one to look up. And I'd suggest if you go to Wikipedia after the show, have a look at what they've got to say about this word and the development of it. I think also it's always promoted in what I'd see as a balanced way with using the scientific fact. So 
where I come from is that I really think that by understanding the very nature of the human drive to cure cancer, which is what we've just been looking at here, that human drive from both sides of medicine and, of course, from alternative medicine. And from both sides of medicine, I mean conventional medicine, what we call complementary medicine and alternative medicine. And I think if you can grasp this, it gives you an idea that not a lot has changed on the internet. Um, we just find things more easily than perhaps we did in the past when it was more word of mouth and folklore and uh, remedies were passed on from generation to generation. I think if we can find that human driver, uh, make some sense of it, you can more easily master the first important step in your own survival. Now recently a patient asked me also about the origin of the word cancer. In my office I have a, um, a painting that was painted by a lady called Katharina Rapp who's quite an amazing artist and uh, she paints some psychological aspects of life and the painting depicts a hand coming down into the water with a crab actually in the hand reaching for the bottom of the ocean and it's actually called a helping hand and it was painted for my practice and the lady said what's the idea of of the crab why is cancer called the crab and what is that painting about so just to um, add a little bit of the history in here the origin of the word cancer now Hippocrates, the Greek physician, we all know him, let your food be your medicine and your medicine be your food, the Hippocratic Oath, etc. And um, he was around between uh, 460 and 370 BC and he is considered the father of modern medicine. He's credited with actually naming cancer. He used the terms carcinos and carcinoma to describe the non-ulcer-forming and ulcer-forming tumours that he was seeing in his time. Now in the Greek, these words refer to a crab, most likely applied to the disease because of the finger-like spreading projections from a cancer seem to be reminiscent of the shape of a crab. And then we have a Roman physician. He later translated the Greek term into cancer. His name was Celsus. And the Latin word for crab was then really born. We have Galen who came along, another Greek physician. He was around in 130 to 200 AD. And he used the word onkos, which is Greek for swelling, to describe tumours. And although the crab analogy of Hippocrates and Celsus is still used to describe malignant tumours, the added term oncologist is born from Galen's term, which described the swelling in describing tumours. Moving forward in time, we get to the 15th century, where scientists like Galileo and Newton began to use what we know as the scientific method. So thought processes were changing and this is very important in the study of disease and particularly in the study of cancer. Uh, people were more interested in the body, in autopsies and the scientific perspective was at that time brought to the understanding of the human body. 
We're going to take a break now on navigating the cancer maze and when we come back we'll explore this a little further and then take it into how this knowledge can actually be used to help survival, survival in cancer. So don't go away, we'll be back very shortly on navigating the cancer maze. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Learn to navigate the cancer maze with trusted professionals in cancer health care. The Grace Scholar Institute, a not-for-profit organization with an established track record, a global clientele, and expertise in local and international referrals. The Institute's founder has almost 40 years experience as a multidiscipline cancer strategist with a focus on finding options and implementing personalized care for cancer patients. The Grace Scholar Institute can help you navigate the cancer maze. Why not email the Institute today at institute at gracegoller.com or visit their website at gracegollerinstitute.com. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. are tuned into Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller. We'd love to hear from you today on our program. Please call us toll-free from North America at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. International callers may dial in to 480-553-5759. You may also send an email to institute at gracegoller.com. Now, back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. Welcome back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. I'm your host, Grace Gawler. And today, having a look at the history of cancer and how it actually dovetails into our current day understanding and some of the secrets of survival are in there as well as we gather an understanding from the history. Now we finished off talking about um, the scientific method which began to be used in the Middle Ages to really look at the nature of cancer, the nature of the anatomy. And many scientists were born of that era. Then in the 1600s we have a gentleman come into the system. His name was Descartes. And uh, he was French and he suggested that the body worked like a machine and that it has material properties. And he saw that the mind, on the other hand, was described as non-material and that it did not follow the laws of nature. Descartes argued that the mind interacts with the body at the pineal gland, which is located in the brain. This form of dualism or duality proposed that the mind controls the body and that the body could also influence the otherwise rational mind. For instance, when people act out of passion if they commit a crime. Most of the previous accounts of the relationship between mind and body had been one-directional, so Descartes brought in this idea of mind-body, body-mind, and it was that time too in medicine where we start to get this separation of the person from the disease. So the early concepts of mind-body medicine go, have, go back to that time and, and have its roots there. Um, and certainly that's as much as we know in modern time. Mind-body medicine has become very popular today. And in fact, perhaps a little too popular in the sense that 
um, just because you believe something is so or going to happen doesn't mean that it necessarily will. And this is very, very important for people dealing with cancer who want to use affirmations and techniques where they believe that the mind can really alter the state of cancer in the body. It's very, very rare, I think, that that actually can happen. And it's all very mysterious when it does because we don't have a lot of data um, on the mechanisms that really interact between the mind and the body. We know that there's an interaction between the immune system, certainly, and the brain. It's very complex, but I have no objection whatsoever to people enjoying their affirmations, feeling that it helps them in their attitudinal shift, or practicing meditation and imagery for the same reasons. But I think where that becomes misleading in mind-body medicine is that if you think that by doing those things that they will impact the development and the evolution of your own cancer. Um, I think that's uh, very misleading indeed and I've seen a number of people get involved with that at a very deep level and it's all come very unstuck and often at the end of that um, it's not a positive outcome because quite often people say if only I'd done more, if only I'd done more affirmations, if only I'd meditated more, if only I'd had more juices things might be different now and I might not be facing my death. So in doing those kinds of practices, you can actually bypass the real human element of dealing with cancer. We're going to talk more about that as we go on today. But moving into um, the emotional now from the mind. Now in the 1700s, some doctors had begun to explore the impacts that they were just seeing in patients and in their lifestyle and in their families, um, stresses and uh, aspects of oneself that they thought might impact the disease of the person. In fact, as a causative agent um, and perhaps also helping the person through a recovery if that was going to be the case. Now, one of the passages I like to quote, and this is actually in my book, Women of Silence, The Emotional Healing of Breast Cancer, um, and it's in the section called Examining Causes of Breast Cancer, and it takes a look back to the past, to 1765. I actually owned this book uh, for some time before I sold it on to a friend. It was published in Edinburgh. It was called Buchan's Medicine, and it contains a brilliant paragraph of what the um, causes of cancer, the emotional impacts um, were as they were understood at that time. Now, this was from a, a GP and uh, actually in the back of his book, he had old uh, remedies written for various pulses, all in beautiful script handwriting. And it was very interesting that this was actually recorded um, by a GP. So the following was his observations. He writes, Persons after the age of 45, particularly women, and those who lead an indolent, sedentary life are most subject to this disease. He's referring to breast cancer. The disease is often owing to suppressed evacuations. Hence, it proves to be frequently fatal to women of gross habits. I love the writing. Particularly old maids and widows about the time when the menstrual flux ceases. It may likewise be occasioned by excessive fear, grief, anger, religious melancholy, 
or what he termed any of the depressing passions. Hence the unfortunate, the choleric of nature and those persons who devote themselves to a religious life in convents or monasteries are often afflicted with it. He goes on to write, it may be occasioned by the long continued use of food that is too hard of digestion or of an acrid nature, by barrenness, celibacy, indolence, cold, blows, friction, pressure or the like. Women often suffer from the last of these by the means of their stays, which squeeze and compress their breast as to occasion great mischief. Sometimes, he says, the disease is owing to a hereditary disposition. So that's a, an amazing summary from times gone by. And there's been a revival of that, um, that way of looking just like we've looked at mind-body medicine, that just by curing your emotions, by having different attitudes, that that will make cancer go away. And I think it needs to be very clearly said that these are very useful tools, hence the book that I wrote, uh, Women of Silence, The Emotional Healing of Breast Cancer. It does play a part in helping you to manage and helping you to strategize your way through the cancer maze. So I think all of these things have to be taken in context. And unfortunately, some of the, the new age and uh, the cancer entrepreneurs have taken some small truths of this information and created it into something that says, this will cure you from cancer. In my experience, in 40 years of working with patients, it certainly won't, but it will certainly help you um, as a person to navigate the cancer maze with, with more presence, with more, um, with more dignity, more knowing who you are, um, with more centeredness and with more empowerment of your personal empowerment of knowing how you're going to strategize to deal with this uninvited life change which has come your way. So how can we bring all this information together to help um, you, the cancer patient, if you're listening in today, survive through and beyond cancer. Remember, that's a, it's a tricky uh, thing to say because we've already said early on that since early Egyptian days, it has been deemed, cancer has been deemed as an untreatable, as an incurable disease. But knowledge has come forward and fortunately that scientific knowledge that we've just talked about that's developed through the ages has come to an amazing technological medicine today and the technology is phenomenal. I think we have to be very careful in medicine that it becomes um, doesn't become too technologically focused so that these other important humanistic factors, the things that help us strategize our way to get through the life crisis that come to us that we don't know how to deal with, they're very, very important things to work alongside the technology of the modern-day cancer approach. Genomics is having a huge influence in cancer and information technology is playing its part where now we're able to collate information for cancer patients in a way that we have never been able to do before. So it's really exciting and I keep looking at conferences that are coming up on the net uh, very excitedly talking about the latest in personalised medicine um, and they're only talking about circulating tumour cells 
or different aspects of the of the biology, if you like, of the tumour, and the patient is being forgotten. So somehow we have to be very conscious of that, and I think that's where you, the patient, can come in quite uh, quite strongly and, and quite uh, with an empowered thrust because when you're seeing the doctors constantly, when you're seeing the specialists, to remind them of your humanness and what you are going through in this cancer can make all the difference to the way you're treated um, and therefore to the outcome. A little bit more on that later. So, number one, helping survival today. Having the knowledge that cancer on the planet has a history helps. Knowing about the people who have been involved in history, um, even just uh, generically, the people who have attempted to find the cure helps because, as we said, today, what's changed? Very little, in fact, uh, where people are still attempting to be the one who finds the cure. I'm going to take a break on navigating the cancer maze now because I'd like to come back and have a whole segment of um, these particular points that I think you're going to find very helpful and you likely won't find written um, or spoken about in too many places. So let's do that. We'll take a break. We'll come back shortly and we'll launch into a number of very valuable points. Don't go away. We'll be back soon on Navigating the Cancer Maze. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Listen each week to Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller, from the Grace Goller Institute as she interviews cancer medicine experts, researchers, allied health professionals, patients, and caregivers. Navigating the Cancer Maze provides you with information, education, inspiration, and a toolkit that will equip you wherever you are and whoever you are to effectively navigate your way through the cancer maze. The Grace Goller Institute also provides ebook resources. Be inspired. Be empowered. Visit the Institute's website at www.gracegollerinstitute.com or email institute at gracegoller.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are tuned into Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller. We'd love to hear from you today on our program. Please call us toll-free from North America at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. International callers may dial in to 480-553-5759. You may also send an email to institute at gracegoller.com. Now, back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. We're back on Navigating the Cancer Maze. I hope you've had time to uh, pop over to the kettle and make a cup of tea and uh, sit down and relax and have a listen to the things that we're going to be uh, sharing with you right now about the actualities, um, the real things of navigating the cancer maze successfully. Before the break, I said having the knowledge about cancer on the planet and its history and why we have arrived at the place we've arrived at today in cancer treatments. The second aspect is uh, to be discerning. I think it's one of the first major 
suggestions. You're diagnosed with cancer, you go home, people find out, there's books on your doorstep, the lady over the fence has got a cure, the phone is ringing and you feel totally overwhelmed and you wish you'd told no one. So um, I think when that happens, the very first step here is you've really got to sit down and gather your thoughts. Um, it's difficult at a time, I know, when uh, you're traumatised, perhaps from the diagnosis itself, from the news. It's uninvited change, it's come into your life. A lot of things now are going to have to adapt and change accordingly because of this diagnosis. And, of course, one's life um, is at risk. And we don't know uh, quite often when a cancer is diagnosed how advanced or whether it is early in the diagnosis as well. So there's a lot of challenges. So to be discerning and use critical thinking processes to evaluate anything that comes your way. Take time. Evaluate the statements of people. Evaluate the treatment offers that come from conventional medicine. Take time. And this means from both an alternative, complementary or conventional cancer medicine point of view. Now, alternative medicine um, may have some good adjunctive treatments and that's certainly a given if we consider even acupuncture as an alternative medicine treatment can be very useful in the treatment of cancer certain kinds of massage can be very useful in the treatment of cancer um, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but we don't want to do uh, uh, just one thing in just one area of medicine and this is where a best of both worlds approach comes in and it is really the strength of the cancer patient navigating the maze who is really looking at survival so it's not easy but take the time and go back and even learn some critical thinking processes if necessary uh, I think in the early days, uh, Edward de Bono was one of the books that I suggested that some of my patients read who were really struggling with how to process information. It can be really overwhelming. And this is the point. It's a very early point where cancer can be won or the battle lost because it's all about how you make your choices, what's evidence-based, how you do your best of both worlds to navigate the cancer maze. The third point I'd say is really an important one. Learn to navigate the internet with conscious intent. Be choosy. Catch yourself if you start to believe the unbelievable that you see on the internet. Cancer can be cured. I have the the answer here, um, use this product and you will be cured. Thousands of people have. Go to this clinic. Everybody that goes there is cured. Have this treatment, etc., etc. It's not that simple. Now, Richard Carlson's famously quoted as saying, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And for me, this holds very true when it comes to dealing with cancer and uh, cancer treatments and particularly the internet. So my suggestion here is think about things. Again, we go back, take time, think about these things rather than reacting to something that sounds quite sensational. 
and that does sound too good to be true. This is a really helpful strategy for dealing with cancer in the early stages. You know, this has changed over the last, um, well, 40 years since I've been working with cancer patients, where in the early days there was no internet. Uh, people went to groups, people found books, uh, people found newsletters that came out of some of the early American movement for cancer help in looking at alternative medicine. And I've seen the development over these decades to get to where we are today, where um, we look at so much information that's coming in the path of the cancer patient. It's, all, it's too much to think about. So decide early on how you're going to navigate this maze, how you're going to think as you navigate the maze, and uh, how you're going to use the best of both worlds approach in navigating the maze. And can you do it alone or do you need a guide, an experienced guide to help you to navigate that path? Remember, you're the patient and I think it's important that the patient uh, in the majority calls the shots on how they choose to navigate the maze. Now that can be misinterpreted too and people can say, well yes, I've chosen alternative medicine but I would say that may not be the best informed choice. So informed choice comes into this as well. To take time and consider where you're going to go, how you're going to do this, who you're going to consult and make that informed decision. Another Richard Carlson quote I quite like is that reflection is one of the most underused yet powerful tools for success. Now that comes out of the business model. And I think for many people, going back and using the business model to assist you to navigate the cancer maze, particularly if you can't find a coach or a navigator, who, or you can't afford to go and see a coach or a navigator. These are very simple tools that will help you through. Um, early days as well as recommending the books of Edward de Bono. People were always very surprised because I often re recommended books that had nothing to do with cancer uh, when people came to see me in my practice. For women, it was uh, Women Who Run With The Wolves for uh, uh, Clarissa Pinkola Estes. A famous and popular book was very helpful for women who wanted to really explore the, um, the more attitudinal side of their life and to make some life changes. Um, across the board for corporate people, uh, the works of uh, Stephen Covey, understanding the principles of, of, of business through relating with people was very important. And he has some excellent books. First Things First was one of them. Um, he's written some wonderful books on relationship. The name Stephen Covey, C-O-V-E-Y. If you have a look online, uh, you'll find lots of material written by him. He's also written uh, Principal Centred Leadership uh, was another one. And um, he's written a lot on uh, the family and how the family healing process can actually help people uh, throughout the corporate world. So these are books that uh, I'll actually put links to on my blog, grayscrawlermedia.com, uh, after the show today so that you have some resources to follow up. So treating cancer like it's a business and therefore making a business plan of how you're going to navigate the cancer maze is the next one. Um, that's a, a super important point. The number of patients that will come and see me without even a summary of 
the historical walkway, the timeline of their um, cancer, is quite astounding. Without this coordination and collation of your material, it makes it very hard to have a, <coughs> a conscious and centred way to navigate the maze. Moving on, um, Carl Sagan said that exceptional claims require exceptional evidence. So today's pseudoscience on the internet is often compelling and it appears truthful. Even sometimes myself, I've got uh, so many years of training, when a new product comes, I've always got to be open, I don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, and I take a, a thorough look. I usually look in three places, and I usually look to make sure that, um, that the person is just not promoting themselves through various uh, different websites or different selling points. Um, or different research points that 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 uh, it has to be coordinated in a way so that you can look independently at the various studies and then make your informed choice. Otherwise, it would like be um, perhaps a, a policeman who committed a crime and he was investigated by his own department. Um, it may be that the outcome of that would be uh, in the favour of the policeman. So. Uh, be careful with the way that you actually access and look for your information and don't be just taken away by something that sounds absolutely fantastic because it's highly likely um, <clears throat> that there's a lot more to it than meets the eye. Um, and I know many of these, um, what I call the pseudosciences on the internet, um, they carry a small amount of truth um, that's clothed in a lot of rhetoric, a lot of uh, discussion about something. I found a brilliant um, article by a nutritionist the other day, uh, just while we're talking about this, on the use of coconut oil, which has swept the planet for um, being the healthy way to cook in coconut oil. Well, there's a lot behind coconut oil, and I would suggest take a look at the blog. Um, by the way, you can follow the blog, and uh, it'll be delivered into your email each week with all the resources so that you don't have to remember to go online. Um, if you just go to grayscallermedia.com, down the bottom you'll see a little grey sign that comes up on the bottom right-hand side, and it says follow. Click there, and um, you can subscribe to my blog and get this information on a regular basis. Um, not only the information that is on Voice America on this show, but information that is um, fairly wide and uh, I like to explore that, what's around in the cancer community, what's coming up and give patients the best idea and the best validated uh, uh, options of what they can do. So um, we're coming to the end of... Uh, our last, we're going to have our last session shortly, coming to the end of this session. So don't go away. We'll be back on Navigating the Cancer Maze. And we're going to finish up with a few points from today and a few little patient um, anecdotes as well. So if you haven't had that cup of tea yet, maybe your time to go away and make it. We'll be back shortly. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Learn to navigate the cancer maze with trusted professionals in cancer health care. The Gray Scholar Institute, a not-for-profit organization with an established track record, a global clientele, and expertise in local and international referrals. 
The Institute's founder has almost 40 years' experience as a multidiscipline cancer strategist with a focus on finding options and implementing personalized care for cancer patients. The Gray Scholar Institute can help you navigate the cancer maze. Why not email the Institute today at institute at grayscholar.com or visit their website at grayscholarinstitute.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. are tuned into Navigating the Cancer Maze with your host, Grace Goller. We'd love to hear from you today on our program. Please call us toll-free from North America at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. International callers may dial in to 480-553-5759. You may also send an email to institute at grayscholar.com. Now, back to Navigating the Cancer Maze. We're back on Navigating the Cancer Maze. Um, before the break, we were talking about um, the pseudoscience that is around on the Internet. Um, get it evaluated by someone, and, and don't go to someone, too, who's... Um, just sort of saying, well, everything's quackery and nothing works. So I think that's very fruitless as well. If you know someone who's got some scientific training or some critical thinking training, run something past them and see what they think about it before you uh, jump in and try something. But pseudoscience, uh, to me, it's becoming a bit of a commodity. It's a trading commodity now among cancer patients where information gets passed around between groups and forums. Some of it is even viral, um, sometimes by patients, sometimes by the makers of a certain product. Pseudoscience spreads like wildfire. In fact, it spreads just like the cancer can spread. Um, So be really careful about what you pass on to someone else. The next time you're tempted to pass on a cancer treatment information, information even about a a, a clinic or something that you found out but you have no experience really of, I really urge you once again, stop and think. Questions you can ask around this is, is this information legitimate and proven and therefore worthwhile passing on? Is it for real? Why am I passing this on to others when I've not experienced it myself? Could be another question that you might ask. And look, people have the greatest goodwill and good um, intention in trying to help cancer patients quite often because many times people think this is hopeless and helpless. I'll do something. Oh, this has arrived in my inbox. I'll shoot it off to Mary because she's got cancer without even looking at it or evaluating it or knowing how it's going to impact Mary when it arrives. So that's a very real issue for me in working with cancer patients every day. Ask yourself, have I used critical thinking faculties in assessing the treatment suggestions that I'm just wanting to pass on or I've just passed on to someone? Could it be internet hype? Have I been sort of taken in in the moment? And importantly, very importantly, am I prepared to be responsible for the outcome of passing on an unproven cancer treatment? This is one that very, very often people do not consider 
passing on any kind of information to others that turns out to be um, incorrect, that turns out to be misleading or damaging. It's serious business. It's life or death. Um, we see this, or I see this in the practice so often when it comes to um, the issue of black salve, which we've talked about before on the show. This looks to be miraculous. Um, you um, put this salve on, uh, it causes a tumour to, uh, to, to burn, to shrink in and to eventually pop out and leave a crater behind it. I guess this is one of the areas where we've had uh, so many people. Recently, I had uh, someone who's used it on on their genitalia, dreadful mess. I've had someone who put it into a puncture wound um, that they'd had for a biopsy on um, on their pancreas. I've had people say that they've done the same for the liver and created a great gaping hole or ulcer. Uh, there needs to be more known there's a lot on my blog that I've written in the past about something like black salve but there's an example of something that you could be passing on and thinking wow this is the best thing in cancer since buttoned up boots everybody needs to know about this take care and be cautious read up about it yourself and you just might think a little more carefully before you pass that information on to somebody We've had people with um, ulcers in their breast tissue where you could put a fist in the hole um, from using black salve. Um, Professor Herzog in, in Germany had told me of a mother who'd used it on a melanoma on a boy's head and you could actually um, see into this brain. It actually went through the skull. She used it for many months and created a hole in the skull where you could actually see the brain. There's a picture on uh, one of the blogs. If you just type in, in the search on my blog on grayschoolandmedia.com, uh, type in black cell, those... Um, uh, blogs will come up and you'll be able to read about it there's one there where there was a huge hole just created straight into the temple of someone who'd used this product um, there's so much that's said about it there's so much hype there's videos that are made about it but i tell you what if you work at the cancer coalface where every day you're seeing patients who have tried and used and taken in a lot of the pseudoscience stuff um with good spirit, thinking that they were doing the right thing. If you if you worked with that and you saw the messes that people um, created, you'd think twice about recommending it. You'd certainly think three times about uh, even using it. So these are some of the stories that we see. And um, I might just add there that many people who are on the internet and who are promoting things and even who are writing books have very, very little contact at the real coalface area with cancer patients. So much of the material comes regurgitated. Um, much of it comes through theory. There was a, a site that I just read recently where it said uh, hundreds of scientists of, have recommended this product and um, that they've written papers about it. It was hard to find, but eventually finding many, many of the papers, all of them were on mice and none of them were on humans and all of them were in the laboratory. And yet this product was being promoted for the use of patients by using only, only the mouse um, and rat studies. So these are the, the, the pitfalls. They're the things you've got to watch out for. And one doesn't want to be too fearful in saying these things because uh, we want to leave the door open for people exploring options in the field of cancer. But it is a minefield and you need to know that in the maze... There are many mines, there are landmines in there. 
and depending on which path you go down you might just stand on a landmine and uh, getting a guide to help you through the cancer maze I think is really very helpful. Um, use Wikipedia as your standard as we said before um, and being empowered I just want to touch on this um, a little bit towards the end of the show today being empowered does not uh, just mean being in control and taking charge of everything it's another misleading area in actually dealing with cancer and the strategies that surround cancer and the following I say most respectfully but a cancer patient needs to remember that they're not a cancer expert just because they have cancer. And I hope that came through the right way. Um, yes, you know what it feels like to have your life challenged, to, to have things changed, to be facing perhaps um, an early death. All the shock and the adaptations that go with a cancer diagnosis are very real. But that information is in the experiential. It's in the emotional and the psychological, the spiritual realms. And it can cloud your rational thinking and critical thinking processes and therefore your decision-making processes. So be aware of empowerment. It's good to have some of it, but it's not that it takes over and you feel like you have to research and become a cancer expert overnight. It's impossible. It also follows then that a caregiver can fall into the same issues. And in my experience, a caregiver, partner or family member, great to assist with logistics and gather information on behalf of the cancer patient. Please remember, though, be aware of control issues. It's uh, easy to go in over control for someone you love and take over the illness from them. Try to remember the only thing that a cancer patient may have left or may feel that they have left is the control and autonomy over what is happening to them. And if we take that away, it's devastating to a patient. We can take away their raison d'etre um, and uh, we just don't even know we've done it. So it's very tricky to walk this maze. Patients do need to have a sense though of being empowered and in charge of their own destiny. And this is where self-empowerment can go awry and self-empowerment can become self-destructive. Dealing with cancer is a tricky dance. It's a tricky business. Um, it's tricky as an individual, as a couple, as a family, and even as a community. And uh, some of these dynamics can support or hinder a patient's recovery. Remember, for the nicest and most loving of reasons. So, um, we are concluding for today on Navigating the Cancer Maze. Uh, I'd really encourage you to have a look at grayschoolerinstitute.com. We have a course going, and for people particularly in Australia or even in New Zealand, you may be interested in this course. It's a survivor school, and we cover the uh, things we've talked about today in a lot of depth and much, much more. It is a full one-day course and it is held on the Gold Coast in November. So check out the website. Um, I'm excited about Survivor School because I think it's one way we can teach these strategies to navigate this exceptionally tricky and difficult cancer maze. So signing off for this week, remember the show is brought to you by Grey Schooler Institute um, in Australia. And remember to check into the blog grayschoolermedia.com for resources attached 
and uh, reference to today's program. Bye for now. Have a great week. Thank you again for listening to Navigating the Cancer Maze. Please join your host, Grace Goller, again next Friday at 12 noon U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember, cancer is not something you have to face alone. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.